Welcome to the Tribe of Testimonies. Here you will find conversations with faithful Native American members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, sharing their stories and their love of the Savior. My name's Andrea Hales. I'm Navajo, and I'm glad that you've decided to come and join us today. My guest today is Adam Conti. He and his wife came to my house, and it was so fun to have them there. His wife just kind of sat and listened to the whole thing, and she did something on her tablet to to keep her hands busy, but it was kind of fun because every once in a while she'd look up and like either nod in agreement or or something. And um, it, so I love when people come to the house because it's it's different. I love visiting with all my guests on the phone, but it's a little bit different in person because we can read each other's body language a little bit more and our facial expressions. And so I love it. I love it. This is the third week in a row I got to have a guest in my home, and I am so grateful for that. And I'm grateful that Adam came, and I hope you enjoy this conversation. I'm in my home today with um, Adam Conti, and I'm so grateful that he's here, and his wife here is here too, Becca, right? And so this is so great to have Adam and Becca here, but we're interviewing Adam today. Adam, would you please introduce yourself in your tribal way as much as possible? If it's in your language, great. If it's not, that's fine. Not everybody speaks their language, and some languages are dead. Great, thank you. Um, Sakoli, my name is uh, Adam Conti. I'm the son of Michael Conti and uh, Miriam Cook Conti. So on my mom's side, she's Oneida and Mohawk. Um, on her Oneida side, her last name is Cook. And then on our Mohawk side, it's Summers. And so my grandma currently resides on the Oneida Reservation up in Wisconsin. Cool. Great. Would you please share something that you love about your heritage as it relates to the gospel of Jesus Christ? It can be pretty much anything, uh, a ceremony, a story, a way of life, a celebration, anything as it relates to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yeah, here's a here's a story that um, my auntie told me growing up, and I haven't fully dove into this story, but it's something that really rang true to me for for many years. And it happened when um, one of our great great uncles passed away, and so my auntie she went to um, the Mohawk Reservation to attend his funeral, and when she came home, she told us a story that uh, one of the elders got up and spoke during. Um, the service and basically he was saying that you know in their language there isn't a word for death Um, the closest translation is those who have moved on and you know it's it's one of the clear steps of the plan of salvation where it's you know we know that there's a life after death we know that there is a place for our spirits afterwards Um, and i think that a lot of indigenous cultures knew that too you know especially our people Um, and I know a lot of talk about ancestors and being guided and, and all that stuff. So I think that, you know, that story from her really resonated me as a child thinking of like, wow, there's so many parallels between, you know, traditional teaching and, and the gospel. Yeah, that's really cool. And that's Mark and I just, my husband and I just started watching the Lord of the Rings, Amazon prime series. Yeah. Yeah. I've been meaning to (laughs) watch that actually. That's has nothing to do with the gospel but the the elves at the very beginning 
they don't have a word for death either. <laughs> so, Perfect. Sorry. That's good. They probably got that from uh, indigenous teachings. They could have, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's funny. But so were you were you raised on or near the reservation? No. So um, my mom, she was born uh, upstate New York, and then her father passed away, and so it it, it was a crazy freak um, airplane crash. And it was, it's a wild story. We've been able to do some family history where I've been able to go and interview my grandma about that era. And it's, it's a crazy story. But um, basically, uh, my, my grandma raised her three girls um, solo in California. And so my grandma did as much as she could to give her girls the life that she never had. And my grandma had 13 kids. I'm sorry. My grandma had 13 brothers and sisters. Whoa. Sorry. Yeah. And, you know, in those days, it was very rare to have that many kids survive and be able to support them all and all that good stuff so she raised her three girls in california and my mom didn't really um wasn't really connected or involved in the native community until she moved to uh, until she went to college at byu and so i was raised in arizona my dad was from hawaii my mom was from cali and so we were kind of we grew up a little bit more on like our like filipino polynesian side um and so my dad actually had a lot of friends from Hawaii moved to Arizona and they all started their own dance groups and their own halals and their own um, little pocket of community. And so we grew up very surrounded by culture, by different ethnic groups um, and whatnot. But we had little taste of the native, you know, Native American teachings. And we learned Native American sign language, which was heavily influenced by, you know, living legends or four feathers or tribe of many feathers, you know, depending on what era, Lamanite generation, depending on what area you're a part of. Um, and so we grew up doing stuff like that. I learned how to hoop dance from Terry Godell, just like almost the rest of the other <laughs> half of the world learned how to hoop dance from Terry Godell. But um, the story goes, they were good friends in college. He came to Arizona because he went to the world hoop dance competition down at the Heard museum and the deal was you can stay at my parents place if you taught the boys how to hoop dance so he taught my me and my brother how to hoop dance when we were very young and i was able to do that for you know birthday parties and weddings and other you know special moments for people and so it was it was really cool to at least have that yeah. at least have that and so i didn't really i didn't really connect with the native side until after college wow where did you go to college? I went to four different universities. Okay. Um, I went to first Eastern Arizona College down in Thatcher. Um, great, great place. And then I went to BYU-Hawaii, BYU-Provo, and UVU. Okay. And so I got your name from my friend Michael Campbell. Right. And how do you know Michael? So Michael was really good friends with my mom and dad. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so they were really good friends. And then, you know, we're both we're both Iroquois Nation. And so we just stay connected. And then that's actually how I met my wife was through ROC, Remembering Our Culture, which is the group that Michael and Yuvia run, where they do multicultural dancing and then also singing it for firesides and stuff like that. And so I actually met my wife uh, five years ago, seven years ago, seven years ago. In that dance group, that's where we officially met. Uh, first officially Were met. you in the group? I joined the singing group. So I was I was in like Living the... Legends at the time. Okay. So I didn't really dance with them just for time reasons. Oh, but sure. then I would yeah. I would go and sing. I loved the songs. I mean, my I grew up on those ROC songs. My sister was in the dance group. My older cousin was in the dance group. 
So we would go and hear the firesides, go watch the shows. I mean, I loved ROC. And a lot of the songs helped me get through my mission. Really? Yeah, like I could never really connect with Motab. Yeah. It was just, oh, yeah. you know, it's you know, it just time and place. And there were some times where I just really needed some like soul. I just needed my soul to sing, you know. And a lot of those songs really helped put me in a place where I could feel those feelings that I needed to feel at the time on the mission and stuff like that. So I, I love those songs. Yeah, they're so great. So good. Yeah. So, so good. So you were telling me before we started um, recording that you are, you're not real sure what your clan is. Do you want to talk yeah. about that? So when I went to go visit um, the reservation, and I've only been two or three times, and when I went to go visit, we visited um, an elder up there, and she's she's recently passed, but I went to go talk to her to see what she remembers of her family, right? And she was like, oh, actually, you know, your guys' family was adopted, and so we don't really know if you're turtle clan or bear clan. And after doing a little bit of research, you know, we saw that, you know, bear clan medicine and healing and all that kind of stuff. And we were like, after kind of seeing where everyone ended up in their careers, most of them ended up in the medical field. So I was like, we'll just say we're bear clan, yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, it just feels right. It just feels right. Yeah. So that that was an interesting one. And we're still trying to do some research to figure out Maybe on the Mohawk side, we were turtle and then Oneida, we were bear. And so maybe that's how it got mixed up. But, um, but yeah, um, it was, it was just interesting. That's really cool though. Yeah. I mean, that's cool to, to think both of those heritages have, have meaning even in your life today. Mm -hmm. Big time. And it's funny because like growing up, I thought I was going to be a physical therapist. Oh, really? Oh yeah. Like I loved being fit fitness i love like i used to help old people get into the wheelchair and then wheel them into church wheel them into their spot help them take the sacrament wheel them back out to the car help them out of their cars like cars he'd help them out of their wheelchair and back into their car and my dad noticed and he was like you're you're pretty good with you know elders and stuff like that so maybe you should look into going into pt because most pts you know that's the kind of age demographic that they work with and i was like yeah that sounds like a good idea so I, I went through on my undergrad doing prereqs for physical therapy school, um, did some internships, but because I hopped schools so much, it took me a long time to get out of my program. So I never moved on to the next stage of applying for physical therapy school because I was still in my undergrad program. Because anytime a school would have a dance group that would travel on a tour somewhere, I would just move schools, join the dance group, go on tour, and then move schools again. Kind of a thing. And so I've been, it's crazy. Like, honestly, like cultural performing, not just native, but also Polynesian has opened so many opportunities for me. And it's been awesome to not only represent the culture, but also represent like BYU or the Polynesian Cultural Center or, you know, what other, other dance groups we were with. And so it's. Well, yeah. Tell us about the, your temple experiences yeah, too. So when that. we were, so my, both my parents, they met in living, uh, Laminate Generation. Okay. And they had a lot of friends that moved down to Arizona. My dad had a lot of friends from the Polynesian Cultural Center moved to Arizona. And they started their own halal. They started their own dance groups. And so what we decided to do is every Christmas Eve, we would gather and perform at the Mesa Temple. And what we would do is Native American Sign Language or Hawaiian Hula to songs about Christ. Very contemporary. Very, very contemporary. Nothing really traditional about it. Just very, very contemporary. 
And as a child, I mean, we did it for like 15 years. So as a child, I, my, my earliest memories of feeling the spirit were dancing on stage, hearing songs about Christ, performing for a, a crowd of thousands, and just facing the Mesa Temple all lit up. And it was just gorgeous. And I remember multiple times as a child feeling just like the, the spirit, that warmth, that, that the connection between when you fuse culture and religion, it's, it's magic, right? That's the best way I can explain it. But the interesting thing is when you think about it in the past, it was the same thing, right? It, t- today's world, things are so divided and adopted and moved around and, and adjusted and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, that feeling, like when people say in, in the cultural teachings, you know, pray to the creator, it just reestablishes what we, what, we, what we hear at church. Pray to your father in heaven, right? It's just, it's just, I think what we picture in our minds might be a little bit different. Growing up, you know, a lot of times in our generation, we, we had parents that were raised in the church. So we, we grew up going to church. And with a lot of people, especially here in, in Utah, they feel a lot of pressure. They feel a lot of, this isn't me, this isn't authentic, it's cookie cutter, it's, everything's the same thing. And, or it's the flip side, oh, people are fake, it's not real. You know, they're just doing it because they want to go to church on Sunday, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, but when you hear it from a cultural side, it's like, give thanks to your creator, you know, help your brothers, help your sisters. It's, it almost becomes back to its roots, you know? And so I, and I think that that's what the gospel of Christ is all about. It is the authenticity. It's, it is the real, it is the charity of, of Christ, you know, but, and sometimes, you know, depending on what setting you're in and environment, sometimes you can forget that. Sometimes you can do things for the wrong reasons. I mean, I grew up doing things for the wrong reasons. I'm sure everyone has gone through something like that, right? I used to help put away chairs and help mow people's things because I loved when people said, look at Adam. Look how good, look, he's a good kid. Look at him. I loved when people said that, right? But later on, as I got older, it's like, that doesn't, motivate you as much anymore at a certain age so you're like do i continue to do the things i know i'm supposed to do i continue serving right it's not until i started connecting back with my native roots that it brought back that authenticity it brought back i'm doing this because i want to help i'm doing this because i want to serve somebody with no thought of reward coming back to me you know and i'm still in that journey i'm still learning that you know i've had a lot of great mentors um along the way in the native community here that, you know, I've, I, they're my uncle, they're my uncles, right? The uncles, their responsibilities to, is to keep you, make sure your, your head's on right, to keep you humble, to make sure you're doing things for the right reasons, you know? So I've been called out a couple of times um, when things didn't feel authentic or sincere. And I, and I appreciate it. You know, it's, uh, you know, I, and, you know, sometimes it's not very normal to call someone out, but you know, I, I respected them as my uncles and I, you know, I really appreciated them telling me because I was able to rethink, you know, am I doing this for the right reasons? Am I doing this the right way? Um, am I taking the proper steps to make sure it is sincere, you know? And so it's been a, it's been a, it's been an awesome journey. Um, and I think that connecting with the native teachings has even dug deeper the roots of my testimony for the gospel of Jesus Christ, just because there's so many parallels, so many parallels. And um, kind of back to your story, what, back to my story about the Mesa Temple, it's like when you fuse culture with religion or the gospel of Jesus Christ, it 
it just amplifies that feeling even more for me. It made it real, right? Like there were times afterwards where there'd be a lot of non-members in the crowd and they would come up to us and because we were all we were talking about was the Book of Mormon about Christ visiting the Americas, like all that stuff. And they're like, wait, so you're telling me that Christ visited America? And they're like, yeah, our ancestors saw Christ. And it's it's crazy to think about that, right? Because, you know, the rest of the world thinks he he only resided on that side of the world, right? There's only a history of him on that side of the world. But to say he also visited the Americas and here's the record of it. It's like, that's, it's wild. It's crazy. So it's, it's for me, it's it's just awesome. I just think it's, it gets my blood boiling a little bit, like not in a good way. You know what I mean? Like very, in a, in a very, in a very excited way. Very, very excited way. So uh, what, what age would you say that you, you personally recognized the truthfulness of the Book of Mormon because of? I was probably, probably like 13 or 14. Um, there was a young man's camp where we needed to read the Book of Mormon in its entirety before we can go to the camp. And so I really wanted to go to the camp. And so I, I actually, I actually, I was a terrible reader. Anyone who's listening who is a terrible reader, if you're a youth, keep at it. Like, if you can get good at one thing, if you can get look good at reading and comprehending and understanding what you're reading, like, you can do anything in life, <laughs> you know? And even if you don't get to that point, there's a lot of other factors that make you successful. But um, I would read about two chapters a day um, as a teenager. Like, that's, I look back on it, like, that's wild, right? That's a lot, yeah. That's a lot. And during that time is when I really distinctly remember having that feeling of, this is true. This this book is true. But I do have to give credit to that time where I know how to recognize the spirit. Because a lot of times there's a lot of video games, a lot of distractions, not a lot of moments that cultivate where people can feel that. And I do have to give credit to that those special moments when I'm on stage hearing the songs about Christ surrounded by my brothers and sisters and just looking at a temple like that feeling I got while reading the Book of Mormon was a very familiar feeling. It wasn't a, oh, I've never felt this before, or this is a huge explosion within my brain. It's No, it, it was a very, very familiar feeling, and it related, and it went back to, like, this is a feeling of, like, comfort. This is a feeling of warmth, that I, this is right, this is true, you know? And so um, around 13, 14 was when it became really solid. So, like... I don't know what your musical background is other than performing culturally, but I'm, I'm just envisioning like every time you talk about how you just felt the the truthfulness of it, like, like when two different notes or two different instruments are, are um, playing the same note. And when they're actually in tune with each other, Mm. that is like, you can, can feel that yes. and when they're yes. not you can feel that too yeah and, and i feel it's kind of like that's what's going through my head right now when you're talking about yeah you could feel it yeah and and i think that you know i've had a lot of friends who um as they've gotten deeper into like native teachings they kind of separate that's like their way to separate away from you know the gospel of jesus christ and and stuff like that but to your point for me it was very they were on the same, they're on the same tune. It made it even a more beautiful experience, yeah. you know, and I, and I hope whoever's listening to, to identify those parallels. And I hope that those parallels will deepen 
your conversion to Christ um, compared to, you know, separating. Just because there's a huge difference between the gospel of Jesus Christ and Mormon culture, right? There's a huge difference between the two. Um, and it's, you know, it depends where you really live and the people you're around and stuff like that. So I think uh, definitely find those parallels. Yeah, that's, I love that. So where did you serve your mission? I served my mission in the Philippines. And you're Philip, you and, have part Filipino. Yeah. And, so and that's so kind of cool. I actually knew I was going to serve in the Philippines since I was six years old. What? No. Yeah. Sorry, babe. Um, <laughs> so basically my grandma is a convert um, from the Philippines. She moved to Hawaii with her uh, husband who was in the military. And she would walk her six boys down the street and back just to get the wiggles out. And she would notice that there was some people building something. So she would talk and all that kind of stuff. And she was like, she would come home and talk to her husband. Hey, I met the morons today. <laughs> and, you know, it's just a big family funny joke. And, yeah. you know, good thing my grandpa knew a little bit. Oh, those are the Mormons, you know, da, 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 da. And so over the course of like three to four years, she would take the missionary lessons. When she would get pregnant again, she would say, okay, let's take a break, come back in. And so ultimately she, she joined the church and my father was the only one out of six brothers to um, remain active in, in the church. And, um, and ever since I was a little boy, ever since I was six years old, she would say, you're going to serve in the Philippines. You're going to serve in the Philippines. And I was like, okay, whatever grandma. Right. But when I opened my mission call said, Naga Philippines. So it's my grandma. I was like, yeah, you must have a connection up there. But, uh, no, when I got home, I was able to speak Tagalog with her. Um, I lived with her for a little bit before she passed and, Oh, and it that's was, even better. Yeah, it was that's uh, awesome. We would play card games and we would cheat. You know, we'd speak Tagalog <laughs> to each other, all that good stuff and, and whatnot. So it was a really, really sweet experience to be with her um, for a little bit. Oh, I love that yeah. so much. Um, so you were talking about the, the bear clan and the turtle clan and how the bear clan seems to have more healing mm-hmm. um, in, in their... DNA, <laughs> we'll say that. Yeah. Um, what is your profession now? So that's the funny thing yeah. is that um, I grew up thinking I was going into physical therapy and I was getting all ready for it. And I took a video class my senior year and I fell in love. And for the next probably five, six years, I dedicated everything just to video work. And right now I work for a marketing agency called Chamber Media. I'm the senior creative director. And so I manage about eight teams of creatives who make content on Facebook, Instagram, uh, YouTube, or Google, whatever. Like we come up with the strategies, we make the content, we deliver it, and we have in-house ad buyers to make all that stuff. So it's totally different. It's very in the creative space. And it's funny because when I was younger, I'd get made fun of for trying to be creative. My brother's an artist, a very, very good artist. So he would draw something and he was about a year and a half younger than me. He would draw something and it was just gorgeous. I would try and it would just look like a child. It was terrible. Um, anyway, the funny thing is, is that I ended up in the creative space and now my brother's in dental school. Oh. And so we've both <laughs> switched places. And it's a really cool because like we are, we're kind of noticing that we're very, very well-rounded because of it, right? And we, we hope there's a higher reason for it. But because of my background with, you know, the anatomy, the chemistries, formulas, biomechanics, like all that kind of stuff. I, my brain works in a different way 
So when I do work with creatives, I am very good at managing the creatives because I can speak the creative language, but I'm also good at the analytical, um, what needs to happen side. On my brother's end, he's very, very artistic. And so if you ever want someone in your mouth, drilling down whatever, or making something for you, like you're going to want his hands. He has the steadiest hands. He's an artist, right? And so it's just in a medical side. And so he also is learning the formulas and the logic and like the analytical and then also the science behind that. But he's also very well-rounded because he has also a very, very creative mind. Um, So it's really, really cool how that all ended up the way it did. Yeah. Well, Heavenly Father knows way more than way more, way more. more. And I, and I honestly felt like I was guided um, just because like it didn't make sense for me on my senior year when I was 20, I I was 27 when I graduated um, undergrad. It didn't make sense for me to start a brand new career after spending eight years in an undergrad program, right? Like it just didn't make sense. But once I noticed that, you know, there was a big need for it in the native community, I went full in, you know, and it, and it's, the fruits have been great. And on the side, so my, my main job is chamber media, mostly because of COVID. But before COVID, I started a company called the Arrows Journey. And it's basically, we made highlight videos of Native American youth just to get more content online of native people oh wow and they didn't even need to do anything special it wasn't like olympic gold medalist or anything like that it was like hey i'm I'm the first generation college student i'm learning how to speak navajo from an app um i'm a dancer um i'm the first um lawyer to come out of my tribe right like we highlighted a lot of different youth and it was just everyday people it wasn't like i mentioned you know nike sponsored athlete or anything like that it was just everyday people and so from there, I've been able to travel the country to different reservations, working with different tribes, tribal leaders, um, different organizations, nonprofit organizations, fundraising projects, um, having to do with tribal communities trying to uplift themselves. Right. And, and it's what's been the name of that? The Arrow's Journey. The Arrow's Journey. So that stopped when COVID stopped. And every once in a while, we'll work on a project. But um, from that, you know, me and my business partner have been able to make our name for ourselves in the community. And so we still do projects for people and we still do projects here and there, but our, our, it's kind of like our side hustle now, but it's, it was a truly um, eye opening experience where we were able to, you know, interview kids and interview, um, uh, sorry, interview youth and interview tribal leaders of like, what what's on your mind? Like, what are the big issues of the tribes and of the youth? And then we'd interview the youth. What's on your mind? Like, what, what are the some things that you're concerned about? And some of the things were heartbreaking. You know, some of the things were very motivating. Um, and so it, it was really, really awesome when we were able to take that knowledge and move it into the next project and move it into the next project and move it into the next project. Um, it was a big, big learning experience. And I feel very grateful to be a part of that. Um, or at least have, have had that experience. That's um, really cool. How many reservations did you visit? Oh man, we were in a different reservation almost every weekend. Um, we were in Montana, um, Washington, Oklahoma, New York, Florida, um, just Arizona, Utah, California. We were, we were all over the place. And it would go from nonprofit and, oh, sorry, the Dakotas, North and South Dakota, Pine Ridge and Standing Rock. We would do some projects with them and um, the Redwoods up in California, that area. And so we were able to do a lot, a lot, a lot of work. And 
sadly COVID, you know, we lost all of our contracts at that point. We were tapping into some major organizations. Um, we were tapping into, you know, cultural centers now and, you know, stuff for like really steady work. And then we lost all of our contracts with COVID. And from that point, um, I was able to work on a project with Rizal Benali. She is a NYU director student. Um, and I was able to work on a online documentary where we traveled the country and interviewed native artists and how COVID has affected them. And wow. it's a really, really cool project. We, I think it took us about um, two months to film every weekend. It was crazy because I would work during the week, Monday through Thursday. Thursday night, I would fly out to the reservation or wherever the artist was living. And then we'd film uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, fly back Sunday, and then back to work on on uh, Monday again. Whoa. And that was for about two months straight. And I was exhausted. Oh, my goodness. But um, it was an awesome, awesome experience just meeting everybody and knowing how it just affected them. Like COVID was such a crazy, crazy time, crazy, crazy time. And there was a lot of good that came from it and a lot of, you know, heartache and sadness that came from it. Um, and what I mean by good is just so many people were able to slow down and rethink life. You know, so many artists were able to think about, you know, why am I doing this? <laughs> you know, and just because beforehand it was this show, that show, I have to have a piece ready for this and a piece ready for that, that they were missing, you know, in their words, what was most important to them, which was their family. But because of COVID, you know, a lot of those shows got shut down. They were able to slow down and, and kind of get rooted again and spend that time with their family that they're like, oh my gosh, I almost missed this. You know, and, you know, my heart goes out for all those families that were affected by it. Um, but again, you know, just trying to be optimistic and positive that a lot of people were able to, you know, get rooted and slow down because of that time. So you were on reservations on weekends. Were you able to attend um, church? Every anytime? once in a while. Every once in a while to be able to find one. Um, it wasn't often. I'll, I'll have to admit it wasn't often, but Every once in a while, we'd get ear of something and, you know, I would try to attend and whatnot, but it wasn't very often. No. So, so you, you didn't meet very many members. Members. Of no. Uh, it was funny because every once in a while, I'd kind of get in, kind of get a hint of like, you're like, are you, you kind of have those words there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, are you, you know, um, and when, and that's what I mean by like the parallels between the two. And it, it's really awesome just because, like, there's a lot of great Native people out there who live by, you know, cultural teachings. One of my favorite cultural teachings is um, something that was I was taught just recently, actually. Um, basically, we did a workshop for um, uh, BYU, um, like, teacher program. And one of the speakers came up, and he, he was Native. And basically what he said was, um, how do we measure success? Right. And, you know, in Western society, capitalism, it's how much money can you make? It's how fast can you climb the corporate ladder? All that kind of stuff. But he said, like, in a lot of indigenous cultures and in his tribe, a lot of people are considered successful when they can find out what their role is in their society or in their community. And I thought that was just awesome. It just came down to service. Right. It's, it's a gospel teaching service. Serve, serve your brothers. Um, serve your neighbor, love your neighbor. And basically what he said is that when someone, when a young man or young woman knows what they have to offer their community, they're considered successful. 
So whether you're a hunter, you're a gatherer, you're a healer, um, whatever that is, you're considered, that's a success, right? It's when you can find out what you can do for others, you're a success, right? It's so opposite of what, you know, what's, what the world teaches, you know? And so it's, it's right in line with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, it's, it's right in alignment. It's like, for me, every time there's a new parallel that comes up, it, my mind just gets blown. It's like, oh my gosh, it's so beautiful. It's beautiful, you know? Yeah, that's that's way cool. Um, some of the things you've talked about have made me think back to the, the scriptures in the Doctrine and Covenants. The Lamanites will blossom as a rose. Oh, yeah. And I that's been on my mind a lot lately, but you have talked about that without bringing those words up. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's beautiful because like a long time ago, I was like, Blossom like a rose. What does that mean? You know, are we just going to take over the world? Are we going to have all the big banks? Are we going to own all the land back? You know, like a lot of times, like that's what I thought as a kid, what that meant. Right. And I had a, I had a mentor at the time explain like, you know, blossoming as a rose means that they'll understand the gospel again. They'll, they'll accept the gospel again. And I think that, you know, I think that's true, but also I think that there's a lot of other meanings to that as well. I don't, you know, there's a lot of, um, media right now around Native Americans. There's a lot of media around indigenous peoples. There's a lot of great TV shows coming out and content and stuff like that. I mean, I'm in that world, right? So I yeah. can't help but notice, notice. Yeah. when those things come out and the spotlight's coming on indigenous communities, indigenous writers, indigenous content creators. It's it's a full force. In the next 10 years, we're going to see some beautiful stuff come out. Beautiful. And it's not just going to be you know, just TV shows and stuff like that. I mean, just, I think this last week we had a buddy sing in an opera house. He was singing Powell dance, like Powell songs with hand drum. He was hand drumming and Abraham, Abraham. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I've interviewed him. Yeah. You can look back. Whoever's listening. Abraham whoever's, Thomas, <laughs> Abraham Thomas. He's an awesome, awesome guy. Actually, he saved my sister's life actually. Oh, um, yeah. A crazy story, like how it's all connected. But, um, basically it's like, I'm I'm telling you, in the next ten years, things are just it's going to be beautiful, and a lot of the teachings, you know, I, I think I can't remember the saying. It's like, and the future is indigenous. That's what it is. The future is indigenous, and the way I interpret that, though, because like you know, a lot of people can interpret things different ways. The way I interpret that is the indigenous ideology and the and the indigenous way of life and and the way that you interact with others. I think more and more people are going to adopt it, you know, and I think that indigenous way of life is there's a lot of parallels to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Like there are so many similarities between the two and I don't think you can do one without the other. Right. And so, um, I think it's just, it's going to be, it's going to be awesome. So what are you, what are some future goals that you have that you're working on? I've had some, um, I think, I think the biggest one in my mind is, um, well, the funny thing is, is that I was the last grandchild to get married. So my grandmother on her, in on the reservation was like, Adam, you are my last hope. You need to marry a native. <laughs> right. And I, it's okay. I married a half Filipina, half white, beautiful woman. Perfect for me. Um, and I've read, I've actually read a couple books, um, about blood quantum and about, you know, how all that works and stuff like that. And so, um, basically my goal, I, I have a, 
I have someone I look up to here in the Native community, and what they've been able to do with their kids has been awesome. Um, the dad's Native, the mom's white, but together they've been able to teach all the traditions and customs and, and the way of life of, you know, just indigenous living. And that's that's my big goal. I want to have enough knowledge, be a part of the community, so my kids can grow up in it. Um, and we've I've already talked with it with my wife, and she's she's for the people. She's big into culture as well. Um, she's you know she's from Virginia originally, and so she grew up around a lot of Filipinos, a lot of ethnic different groups, and that's what we want for our kids. And we want to build a a home setting where they can feel comfortable and to learn that and to have the aunties and the uncles, you know, quote unquote aunties, uncles, the fake ones, the real ones, the you know all that kind of stuff too be a part of that community just because like it it was such a big part of our lives that we want that for our kids so i my my big goal that i'm working on right now is to um learn more about my own tribe um i've been very blessed to work with a lot of different tribes but you know wisconsin's really far from utah (laughs) so it's yeah i i definitely you know we've been trending up we've been planning a trip out there i do video work and so i've been trying to work with some youth groups up there or just the media department that they have with the tribe to see if there's something that we can do to work on a project together. I know that there are a couple seamstresses up there that make ribbon shirts who are just like, Hey, I'll make you a ribbon shirt if you record this event for me and you know, all that kind of stuff. And so we've been, um, we're trying to figure out a way to kind of reconnect with that community up there um, and whatnot. And so that's the goal to, you know, have more specific teachings based on our tribes, but we definitely, fully intent on adopting um, other teachings as we learn about them and as we hear about them and stuff. So that's like the big goal that we're working on right now. Um, Another big goal um, just for like, I guess for my own personal, um, I guess growth is to continue to work on native projects. Um, And what I, what I really want to do with my media side and my creative side is I want to build and make content that kind of to your point when two instruments are on the same tune, how beautiful that can be. That's Those are the kind of videos that I want to make. Um, and I actually did make one recently. Basically, it is a short film um, with no talking at all uh, about um, genealogy work. Cool. And we had a some some my one of my family's um old friends from college they're uh mission presidents in Canada and they had a first nations fireside which is really really cool yeah the one that just happened the one that just happened i think yeah. it was last year um no, they the one that 2 weeks ago oh so the one last in year in calgary in calgary yes so the crowfoots are my i don't know if you know the crowfoots they're my cousins okay. and so um they were part of the video that they made a year ago so a year ago i was a part of that one not the one just happened two weeks ago but um basically it's it it, they their whole point was because the calgary temple is getting rededicated i think that's what the case was it was being reopened soon so they wanted a video to kind of like get people excited about going to the temple again and genealogy work and everything like that so um it was when i had long hair (laughs) and so i acted i directed and i edited the video had a buddy come and shoot it for us. But basically it was just kind of telling a story about a young native family, uh, them doing genealogy work. And we were able to get some really cool actors 
um, who are native and also have them in a traditional native attire where it's kind of like, these are our ancestors. We're doing the work for them. Oh my word. Is that, when is that available? Um, they showed it at the, they showed it at the fireside, but I don't think I released it, but I can send you the link. Yeah. If you want to, if you want to watch it, um, I can send you the link to it. It's a very, very short watch. I'm pretty sure it's like three minutes long, not too, not too long at all. And uh, so, so can I post that on Tribe of Testimonies? Yeah, okay. that's totally fine. And um, so that those are the kind of con- that's the kind of content I want to make um, going forward. Just putting natives in a in a in a good light, in a good light, you know, and and helping them feel like what what they who they are is yeah valid, <laughs> yeah, totally valid. Yeah, and it, it's you know it's just it's just awesome, you know, and I've been. I think um, in the near future, I'll be able to make um, doing some video work with uh, Living Legends here coming up pretty soon. Um, just anything cultural, anything indigenous, anything cultural um, that has to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's just I think it's just a beautiful, beautiful combination. That's so great. Um, I I love to ask this question. I haven't asked it for I don't know how many interviews, but I love to hear people um are there any tender mercies that are not too private to share that you could share with us that let tender mercies that indicate to you that heavenly father is aware of you, Adam? Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, the first couple that came to mind were, you know, first off being able to got called to serve in the Philippines. Yeah. You know, I mean, I was able to return to the Philippines with my grandma and meet my whole side of the family. You did. Yeah. And you know, I'm the only one, living now that has connections to that side of the family um and so plus my wife is filipina so it's like we're gonna go visit next year we're gonna go visit her family my family oh, you know awesome. all that kind of stuff so we're really excited and that's a and that's a big tender mercy in my you know in my patriarchal blessing it said that i'll be called to serve in a place where my cultural background will qualify me oh my goodness yeah it, you're that's a cool thing to hear. <laughs> yeah. And it, it was just like, well, it all makes sense. You yeah. know, it's just it's very, very aware of, you know, just what I needed, yeah. you know, and it, it kind of sounds a little silly, but, you know, you can't help but to compare sometimes. Right. Very human. And I had buddies serving in New York, Texas, who are learning how to eat six course meals and talk to CEOs of organizations and, you know, it had to be very posh and know exactly what you're talking about and i served in the philippines where i was just happy to survive you know yeah. like i was you know it was we were lucky when we found someone who could read you know like we were we were out in the boonies like out in the mountains like i was always up in the mountains or or in the by the ocean i was very rare in the city you know and so we had very very humble people very very humble people and you know it, it was exactly what i needed yeah. you know it was exactly what i needed on that end um, I, another tender mercy that has to do with like the native side is that, um, a tender mercy is that, you know, I was able to be guided to a skill set that allowed me to have a place in the community. And what I mean by that is like, if I was a personal uh, physical therapist or something like that, I, it would have been very, I feel like very difficult for me to find my place to contribute to the community. Because video work was needed so much in the Native community, I was able to contribute that very, very quickly. And because of that, I was able to start my career very early with Native organizations. And I was able to meet very influential people. And from that, I've been able to work on projects still five, six years later. 
And for me, I think that was a very tender mercy just because all the things I've been able to hear and listen to, it's kind of gearing me towards like who I want to be, you know, what impact do I want to have on the community? And it's, it's really shaped a lot of my decisions. It really has. And, you know, just cause like growing up, you know, I was very, I would say very, I would pretty, I was pretty cocky, you know, I was like, I was really good at everything and a lot of things came easily to me except for like academically, like anything besides academic, like I, things came pretty easily. And, you know, through going to the Philippines, being surrounded by so many humble people and their humble conditions and then joining the native community and just seeing how much work that needs to be done, right? Like I decided from a very early age that I wanted to be an, an influence for good. I wanted to be a role model if I could, you know, and, and I wanted to help others find that, find their way, just because I believe that every person has their own journey that they're on. Um, and if that journey means you have to go left, right, up and down, down to the very bottom pits, you know, if that's your journey, that's your journey. And that's what's going to make you strong. And I just, I, I want to be that source of light and that source of motivation for people to think, oh, he believes in me or he's supporting me or um, just along those lines. And, and I'm super blessed to have a wife that's on the same page. You know, we've talked about it quite often where we want to be in the community helping, you know, people. I mean, cause we're, you know, we're not, we're not old by any means, but we're a part of organizations and groups where people are 18, 19, super young. And we remember what that's like, you know, that wasn't very long. That wasn't very long ago for us. And the world is full of a lot more temptation now than it was back in the day. And it's easy to go here, there, lose your way, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so we we really want to be that, you know, power couple of like, hey, let us kind of share our knowledge with you, what we've learned. But whatever you decide, we, we love you. And, you know, we hope you can always come to us if you ever need anything. You know, that's what, that's what we want to be um, for people because we've had people like that in our lives. We want to pass it on. You know, and I think a lot of that does come from the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we want to serve our brothers. We want to look out for, you know, the people around us. We want to serve because we know we just we just want to do it. You know, you know, it's going to be good for them. It's going to be good for us. Um, it's going to help build the kingdom, you know, all the good stuff. Yeah, I love it. I am so glad that we've had this time. I have one final question for you. What does it mean to you to know that you belong to the tribe of Israel? This is something that has been on my mind ever since seminary, like long time ago. Um, a lot of it has to do with the Abrahamic covenant for me. And, you know, I've, I've researched what is the Abrahamic covenant? What is, what is it? What are the, what are the promises I make? What are the promises in return? all that good stuff. And basically to me being a part of the house of Israel, what that means is I have a responsibility. You know, I have a responsibility to help the others in the tribe of Israel to find the way, you know, and I hope that doesn't sound too cheesy or anything like that, but I have felt the benefits of the atonement about repentance about letting go, about healing, 
you know, a lot of these things, especially when you go through your twenties, not making a lot of good decisions, <laughs> you know, and, and, you know, listeners out there, I, I know that you're human, right? You're going to have those years and maybe decades of, you're just not motivated. You know, you can't find the reason why you can't, um, stop doing this or stop doing that or, or be motivated again. Like, you know, we've, we've all been there and being a part of the house of Israel, it's like, it's our responsibility to help each other to, to stay motivated. You know, there's going to be those times up and downs, right? It's going to be tough. That's what this whole life's about. One of my favorite things that one of my mission presidents told me was, you know, he showed us this, this wooden ball that was carved out of, I think it was monkey pod. And there was a lot of just imperfections behind it, but there was a nice polish on it and it was beautiful. It's like the reason that this is beautiful is because of those ridges. It's because of those dents. That's why this is beautiful. And that took, that took a really big toll on me because I grew up a very, very much a perfectionist. I would have panic attacks and anxiety attacks on my mission because I, I didn't think I was doing enough. I didn't think I was good enough, you know, and I, it can be very paralyzing. And if anyone learned anything from hearing this podcast or hearing from me, it's, it's to somehow let go of that guilt, let go of the shame, hand that over to Christ and your life will be so much happier. Your life will be so much more full. Um, there will be there were plenty of times where um, it would just paralyze me where I couldn't I just think I just didn't think it was worth it you know there were times on my mission where I didn't think it was worth it and I'd email my dad and I was like dad I don't think I can do it anymore man and he was just saying I, I totally understand it's really tough but you know stay on the bus and I was like what does that mean <laughs> right and he was saying sometimes you're at the front of the bus and sometimes things are hard and you go to the back of the bus. And he was like, as long as you don't get off the bus, you're going to be okay. You know, and that really helped me. You know, I would take a day or two to recoup mental health, you know, do whatever I needed to, you know, kind of get back at it. And then I would, I was just like, Hey, I'm, at, I'm just at the back of the bus right now, but I'm still on, you know, and that, that for me, especially for, you know, those who are having a really hard time to go to church, having a really hard time talking to anybody about anything religious because you just feel so much guilt or shame or whatever, just because like I was given a great life. I had great parents who raised me in the church, but I still made terrible, like I still made a lot of bad decisions, right? As, as we all do, we're human, right? And I let guilt and shame stop me from progressing, stop me from trying, stop me from, I just gave up for a while. You know, and through the love of my family, I came back and I and I got back at it, you know, and it's been a beautiful experience during that time when I started coming back to church and got my temple recommend again. I hope that's not too personal, but once I got my temple recommend again, that's when I got reconnected with my wife, you know, and I was single for a while and I was 31 when I got married and, you know, in, in Utah, that's pretty late but in the rest of the world that's early you know like so i'm not saying it's early or late i think it was just the perfect time it was the perfect time for my journey and you know all that started moving in started to get things started falling into place once you know i started 
um, getting right again, you know, getting right with our, with the creator, with Heavenly Father. And um, it was a beautiful, beautiful journey. I don't think I would have changed anything. You know, I, I am who I am today because of it. And, you know, for those listening, you are who you are from the stuff that you've experienced. And the key is, is to learn from it, to move forward and to help others who are, who are going through the same things. Right. But ultimately they'll have to make their own choices. Um, but you can be there to help support them through it. And that's, and that's our goal. That's my goal is to help others through it. You know, and I know, I remember what it's like being 19, 20, <laughs> 21 back from a mission, you know? And so, um, yeah, if anyone's out there wants to talk more or anything like that, hit me up on Instagram. I would love to talk more about just life and the experience and the things that I did to help um, in my journey and, and whatnot. I hope that answers your question. But ultimately, ultimately, um, yeah, being a part of the House of Israel, that's that's what it means to me, having that responsibility. Love it. Thank you so much, Adam, for being here. It's been awesome. Awesome. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. This weekend was our steak conference. <laughs> Both my husband and I had a hard time paying attention. Man, we, I think, I think we have had so much hard stuff going on in our lives that we're just having a hard time with the basics. <laughs> it's not that we're not reading our scriptures. It's not that we're not praying. It's not that we're not attending church. It's just that we're having a hard time focusing on things beside the problem in our life right now. Uh, and, I, and I told you last week that I kind of felt like that with general conference even. Like I just, I'm just having a hard time. I reread this thing on my on my wall that I always have up. It says, don't discard the counsel, but hold it close. If someone you trusted handed you what appeared to be nothing more than sand with the promise that it contained gold, you might wisely hold it in your hand, a while shaking it gently. Every time I have done that with counsel from a prophet, after a time the gold flakes have begun to appear and I have been grateful. It's from 1997. Elder Iring said it. So it's been a while since he said it, but I think that that's okay. Like, sometimes we just need to hold on to it, even if we're not at the moment. It, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, or it's not, it feels like it's not applicable right now, or whatever. Like I said, Mark and I were having a hard time. I was for sure having a hard time. But if I am able to hold on to what the prophet says, and if I keep giving it the value and attention, it will benefit me. And actually, I think it has. Like, when President Nelson asked us to hear him, like, that was his catchphrase for a little bit. At first, I was like, I don't know. But then there were social media posts about people. How do I hear him? How do I hear him? And I was like, oh yeah, I gotta, I gotta hold that one. And the gold flakes have appeared for me. Anyway, I hope that all made sense. I hope that even if you attend your state conference or your ward 
whenever and things are you don't it doesn't just stick you you don't feel like you're completely lost because you're not you keep doing what you're supposed to be doing and keep holding it close and eventually those gold flakes will appear and hope you're having a super wonderful awesome day tribe of testimonies is not sponsored by the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints the music is a traditional hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, arranged and performed by Kyle Forsyth. I would love to hear from you. I would love to hear how this podcast is affecting you. And I'm always looking for guests. If you or someone you know would be a great guest, you can reach me at tribeoftestimonies at gmail.com. <laughs>